that he's in a personal. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I can see you've got what it takes. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, The Assistant. You know what I could really do with right now? An assistant? An assistant, yeah. yeah. Not one to treat like they do in this film, okay. but I'm just saying you just an weird, assistant. That's a weird thing to say when yeah, it no. comes to this. You know what I could use? A punching <laughs> bag. No. I would love to, yeah, I'd love to like be the guy who like gets the wrong message out of every movie. Like watch this movie and be like, <laughs> you know what? I really need an assistant. Watch The Age of Ultron and go, you know what? I really need to spend more time with Siri. Yeah. You know yeah. what? <laughs> yep. Uh, watch, uh, what, what else can we get the wrong, the wrong things from? Uh, Batman v Superman, Daughter of Justice. You know what? I really need to take up jujitsu and call my mom. I more. was gonna say call my mom would be the one <laughs> yeah. for that. Uh, yeah, or or uh, come on, you can do this, man. Hold on, I got, it. I got one, I got one, I got one. How about uh, King of Staten Island? <laughs> I should move to Staten Island. <laughs> And that's a good tie-in because a few weeks ago we had a bunch of Jaws Blu-rays to give away. And this week we're back with some more, this time for the Judd Apatow vehicle uh, starring Pete Davidson, The King of Staten Island, a movie we reviewed a few weeks ago. That is right. Uh, but, which, but which Rolling Stone calls an emotional and comic knockout about love, <laughs> loss, and laughter on Staten Island. You, you, you. <laughs> you read it like a champ. Listen, uh, you can listen to our review about this thing uh, about King of Staten Island. I, I, you know, look, I, I have, I, I don't have, uh, I don't have adverse feelings about this. And no, I don't either. I, th- I, we, I, we both have met, and and you have worked with Pete Davidson uh, quite a bit as well. So I, th- you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the 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 film gives us the good feels. Yes. Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. I, look, I, I am, and I am also a sucker, as everyone kind of knows, for physical media, right? So I'm always psyched when we get to do these Blu ray giveaways because, listen, they're going to turn your streaming off one day. So you need these things physically, uh, and we can actually give them away. It's wonderful. Plus, they got all the bonus things. They got the gag reel and like two hours of extra stuff and bonus content, yada, 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 which is always really fun and always really awkward when you try yeah. to like stream that through whatever service you've rented. <laughs> I don't even know if that's available for this movie on stream. But um, no, and uh, Judd Apatow is really interesting in that um, I read this one thing that he does, um, and I, I, do, I don't know if this will be a bonus content on the film. But when they go and do a test screening of their movies, they'll actually record the audio from the test screening, and then they'll take that audio and lay it back into the Avid or to the edit suite, and then watch the movie again, like with the audio, so that they'll see what points you know like really hit what points really you know like made people laugh and then and then they'll recut it accordingly Uh, which i think is actually it's a really good idea that Um, is a good idea i hope i would love it man oh (laughs) oh i would love like that bonus track i'm sure it's not on there but i'd love the bonus track of just that audio layered in yeah yeah, uh, exactly. I, I think that would be a really cool piece of bonus content. Universal, uh, we're just giving you some free ideas here. Yeah, listen, you give us free uh, Blu-rays to give away, we give you ideas for your next set of Blu-rays. This is how this works. How can our listeners get the Blu-ray of King of Staten Island absolutely free, courtesy of, of us? <laughs> uh, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, but we have one, one hurdle. One gate that we are keeping that you have to go through in order to get these Blu-rays from us. First off, well, actually, one condition, one gate. Okay. First condition is uh, only U.S. residents for this one, please. We did have a couple of international residents for the pre- previous one, and we found that uh, while we really do want to include our international listeners, and there are many of you who wrote us in, um, it is uh, too cost prohibitive for us to send that in. I'm, I sent the last one away a couple of weeks ago. I'm not even sure it's there right now. Postal <laughs> service, uh, protect the postal service. Yes. Um, but we have one question which you must answer in order to claim one of these Blu-rays. And that question is, what television show did both Matthew Kroll and Pete Davidson work on together? You can find the answer by either listening to that episode, which we uh, posted a few weeks ago, or uh, if you want to, just go to IMDb and look somewhere between the years of 2012 and 2014 for both their roles, and you'll find one show that they both cross over in. I gotta be honest, I, I hope you did your homework on that, because I haven't updated my IMDb in quite some time, so hopefully it's on there. Um, I did I did check it, and I also added some uh, some goofy credits for you, so um, <laughs> enjoy that. Oh, oh no! <laughs> you are Darkseed in, uh, in Zack Snyder's new cut. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Uh, what else could we be? You did you are, see? Did you see? Now with me playing the role, I'll just be. I'll have more spikes. 
I'll have spines on Is that what it was? Me. I did see a photo of that. The DC fandom is happening in a few days. And is that when they're releasing the new Snyder Cut? Uh, is, that, is that knows, what it is? man? I can't keep track. Here's something. Look, I always poo-poo <laughs> on DC stuff. Here's something I do want to say. If you haven't watched the Harley Quinn animated series, uh, it was on uh, DC, the DC streaming service, but now all, almost all that content like that and Doom Patrol and a couple other things are all on HBO Max, I think, okay. in conjunction with Snyder Cut Syndrome. Uh, yep. it's a wonder- the Harley Quinn series is wonderful. I hear Doom Patrol is wonderful, too, and it's nice that I don't have to get another streaming service that I didn't already have. Uh, oh, do you have HBO Max? That. Yeah, well, you, everyone does. Everyone who has HBO now has HBO Max. Oh, uh, I don't have HBO, so hook a brother up is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> share, um, the, share those passwords with us on uh, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Or, or share them on Twitter for everyone to see uh, do at that. onlymoviepod. That's a bad idea. Anyway, uh, yeah, please write us in with that answer. We'll send you Blu-rays. If you live in the United States, we'll work on getting the stuff for international things. We'll, there's a lot going on. We'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. But We'll make it work. Yes. We are here. To discuss Kitty Green's The Assistant, yes. which is the movie that uh, played at the Toronto, uh, uh, sorry, played at Telluride last year uh, and also at Sundance and was released earlier this year on Hulu. Probably would have had more of a theatrical release had not, had not been for COVID, yeah. uh, but had a great streaming release to much critical praise and a film that I was very curious to check out, uh, not least of which because um, of Kitty Green's previous documentary, Casting John Bonet, which is available now on Netflix, uh, which is a really interesting meta narrative. Narrative about the John Bonet Ramsey case, um, as told through actors auditioning for roles in reenacting the John Bonet case. Wow! If that sounds uh, complicated, um, Matt, have you ever been an assistant? I have not been an assistant. The closest I've well. Okay, I have two side stories that are assistant-esque, but not like true assistant like is portrayed in this film in the entertainment industry. Assistant uh, adjacent. Assistant adjacent, yes. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, I was a full-service shoe salesman. <laughs> Male escort. Ma- well, that's, yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> yeah. more for me. Um, right. the, I, I sold shoes uh, at Bob's stores in Nashua, New Hampshire. Uh, and back then, I, I, don't, I don't run into this too much, but it was full-service shoe Stuff. You're were you doing Al Bundy's job? Pretty yes. much. Yeah. I was doing Al Bundy's job. And by the end of uh working with some of the people there, you did feel like a an <laughs> assistant to some feet. Um a lot of people would come in just to uh somewhat uh, abuse the workers, as Wait a minute. you'd so imagine. Explain explain this to me. You're you you're an assistant at a shoe sales store? No. I, w- <laughs> I was assisting people in putting on shoes. When it's full-service shoe sales, back in the day at least, I don't know if they still do this, write us in, onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com if you know. Right, you but have that's, to actually... you, that's, that's just working in retail. You just worked in retail. That's right, not an assistant. But, but I'm, I'm literally assisting putting people's shoes on their feet. I'm saying the treatment of me as a, <laughs> as a retail worker plus the, the actually having to touch strangers' feet consistently uh, <laughs> gave off uh, an, uh, a, a, a tinge of the feeling of the assistant. And then, of course, in a more production uh, background, uh, PAing often can feel very assistant-like, though you are not tied to one A PA is a production body. assistant, right? Yeah. That that feels like a little bit closer than the first than the first one. I mean, I worked in retail. I wouldn't call myself an assistant. You asked I, I, again. I didn't say there was the same thing. I was saying things that made me feel sort of similar ways this film felt like sort of oh, in, in I, that no, regard. No, no, I was just as, asking as a if lesser you had, than I, person doing things. No, no, for no, no, other no, no, no. I was just asking if you'd been an assistant. And I, I gave the. I can't believe we're still <laughs> talking about this. I gave the precedent of no, but here are some things that are slightly similar. Adjacent. <laughs> you even gave me the word. <laughs> Regardless, right. um, yeah, paing is paing is uh, is close. Yeah, paing um, is close. But it's not quite the same. I, I would put this more akin to at least what I've experienced with this film, uh, with executive assistants. Um, right. Even though in this assistant. case it is a uh, a filmmaker uh, whom is being assisted. Um, but it is an executive assistant. It is. It is yeah. a you know, like it is an office role. It's not. Yeah. They're, they're not on production. And I, you know, I've been friends with quite a few uh, executive assistants throughout my time at, at Viacom and a couple other places. So like, I, I and, and never did I witness <laughs> things like this. But I know that they also happen because you hear stuff. 
Well, we will be joined uh, through voicemail uh, by a, a former executive assistant who we asked to watch the show, um, who asked to watch this movie, but unfortunately couldn't make it to, to the recording today, but was kind enough to uh, send us in uh, their thoughts on this movie. We'll play that for you uh, a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Um, I guess the closest thing, I I interned at a film production company uh, when I landed in New York. And it was sort of an absurd situation because I was over 30 years old and uh, interning uh, amongst uh, 20, you know, uh, 20 year olds outside of um, who had just graduated from college at a film production company. Um, And many of the things that I saw in this particular film certainly reminded me of the environment, the activities that were required, the tasks, and the general feeling of smallness that you have uh, when you uh, work for a film production executive. Um, and I, one thing that I, I remember feeling about when I was in that position was um, the sense amongst all of us, uh, all of us interns at the time, was that there was a there was a fair degree of abuse that you were sort of expected to deal with. Yeah. Um, it would just happen, you know, whether you wanted to or not. I guess whether they, the person administering the abuse kind of saw it as abuse or you just kind of felt small because of what your role was. Um, and one thing we always talked about was that how we would never treat anyone the way we were treated. Right. Um, but yet the perpetual machine of production kind of creates this environment where everyone who was an executive was formerly an intern who was treated this way and then ends up treating their assistants that way in many cases. Or the the culture that we sort of see here uh, in this particular film rang very true to me. Um, and I was curious about, you know, that, that sort of sense of what it was, but to, but to clarify, um, a lot of my job, you know, as an intern for this particular production company was to read scripts, um, was to, you know, give coverage on scripts. Um, then there was like, taking the laundry for the executives or getting coffee Copies, or photocopying, yeah. de, you know, uh, details. And, and, uh, in fact, uh, I believe it was, um, the film black Swan. No, it was, um, yeah, it was black Swan. I believe where, um, the Darren Aronofsky film where two assistants on that particular film actually sued the production company for that and won. And I think they changed the rules on what you could be, assigned as an intern for because the in that particular case I think uh, the production company were using interns to do accounting jobs that you would have to pay someone for anyway and I think the thing that was interesting about being an intern is that they, you were doing a lot of busy work that you know you could just pay someone to do instead of getting free labor to do uh, which is unique to America I have to say we don't uh, have the interning process as prevalent in New Zealand. There's a weird thing, and, and I, I have started to see it change a bit, and I'm glad people are becoming more vocal about it in various fields. But, um, yeah, for instance, when I was an intern, I was not paid. Uh, now I know the MTV intern program actually does pay. What it does pay, I'm not sure, but at least there is an amount of money you are given. Um, mm-hmm. Also, yeah, there's a weird American, um, like, take your lumps, earn your dues, you know, that sort of thing, which which feels dumb, like, you know what it goes back to, weirdly enough, not to tangent too hard, um, but the idea uh, back when, you know, back, oh God, it seems like a hundred years ago when um, when we were talking about with either the Sanders campaign or anything like that, like actually giving, uh, you know, having college be free, right? right? And one of the big arguments from all the people, not even about like where the money would come from and all that stuff is like, well, no, like I had to pay for college, so why should these people get it for free. And I've always had sort of an issue with that because it's like, even back to sort of working your way or or, or like being mistreated uh, at a low-level position of any job because because you were once mistreated, like that's just perpetuating abuse. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, it's very, very, um, it's a dark human trait that apparently uh, Americans just really (laughs) like latching onto. Not, not to say that it doesn't happen in other countries. I just, I guess my personal experience uh, uh, graduating from college and going straight into work in New Zealand is that we didn't really have that sort of interning system. You just kind of started at a lower level and then worked your, and worked your way up, but you were paid the whole way through in uh, in any positions that I did. Um, so uh, this this sort of culture of interning, executive assistance, that sort of thing, and the the kind of general level of abuse. Um, uh, which I think is kind of fair to call it right now, it seems to be something unique, uh, A, to the film industry, B, to the American film industry 
as I kind of see it. Um, not least of which is uh, from the <laughs> Frank Whaley, Kevin Spacey movie came out many years ago, Swimming with Sharks. Yep. I don't remember if you recall that movie. Oh, that movie. Um, yeah. Again, another yeah. gem that I can never watch again. We, we got to revisit this thing about not being able to watch it again. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not on board with that. With oh, with that's a personal saying, thing. I didn't say. I didn't say you what, could never watch it again. <laughs> right. Right. I, well, I guess I'm just sort of not sure why you can't watch it again. Uh, but you know, that's a I, that's a whole never other have the. It will. I mean, the simple answer is it will never have the um, a, a desired effect that it once had because I'm constantly reminded of of Kevin Spacey and how he's right. a scumbag. Right. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, could you tell us what Kitty Green's The Assistant is about? I sure can. Can you, can you read it out to me now, please? I, I, can yeah, no, I'll do now. it. Now. I'll, I'll get it now. to it. Am I fired yet? Get to it now. Uh, IMDb, like my assistant. <laughs> I, IMDb, whom we are all assistants to, uh, says that uh, The Assistant is a searing look at a day in the life of an assistant to a powerful executive. As Jane follows her daily routine, she grows increasingly aware of the insidious abuse that threatens every aspect of her position. Yep. Fair enough. Um, this is a very accurate IMDb description. Uh, I always take a little bit of umbrage when they assign a word like searing, like a searing look. Like, it, it sort of... That's not. The, we should determine as the audience that it's searing. I don't need IMDb to tell me that it's searing. Again, very minor gripe IMDb, and of course, I really appreciate this job. And please don't fire me from the internet. But eh, not not, <laughs> well, not your if best. We replaced, uh, if we replace the word searing with provocative, what would you say? Better. <laughs> okay. Um, so. This was a film I was really interested in checking out, and uh, I have to say, is not the film that I thought it was going to be. Really? Really was not the movie I thought it was going to be. Now, uh, in 2017, Harvey Weinstein was uh, famously famously uh, exposed by uh, writer Ronan Farrow and uh, a number of writers uh, for having um, perpetuated both a culture of... of um, I guess you would call it tyranny at the Weinstein Company, mm -hmm. but also being engaged in sexual misconduct with many of the people that of whom he worked with. Um, and the floodgates around 2017, around uh, particularly around Harvey Weinstein, seemed to open uh, to uh, make way for the what would later be coined as the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. um, and the you know as we recall, Me Too essentially means that this has happened to Me Too, um, which was where the hashtag came from. And as it turned out, Harvey Weinstein was eventually convicted, sent to prison, um, stripped of uh, his role at the Weinstein Company. And, and now we are uh, engaging, I guess, in a little bit of that retroactive um, uh, recategorization, as you just mentioned with Swimming with Sharks and Kevin Spacey, of the Weinstein body of work um, throughout the late 90s. Uh, sorry, the early 90s uh, and the early noughts, uh, all the way through the early 2000s, uh, the Weinsteins reigned supreme um, as the purveyor of um, uh, quality art house fare that was also Oscar winners and the occasional blockbuster as well. So um, the Weinstein legacy uh, has certainly uh, lives on today, regardless of how we think about it, and certainly is threaded through this entire film. This film was made in 2019, some two years after that. Kitty Green was working on a project about uh, consent on college campuses when the Weinstein story broke, and mm -hmm. she decided to rewrite the the project to be about a film production company. Um, as we both have kind of alluded to, we've worked in film production companies like this, and one thing um, that I just want to say from the get-go is how accurate this film feels in yeah. terms of tone, location, the type of people you will encounter. Um, it's interesting to me because I've um, uh, taken meetings at production offices like this where I am a guest of the company. So I've gone in as a client yeah. and, you know, like, so I'm the one receiving the bottle of Fiji water. And then I've also been on the other side where I'm the one putting the bottles of Fiji water out uh, and doing all the photocopying and running around. And it's really interesting to see that sort of um, the the sort of, terror behind the tyranny 
that you see in these in these uh, organizations. So I'm always uh, um, uh, very curious when I go into production meetings like this or I'm at a company like this, how um, I, I always make it, for me personally, uh, I always make a conscious effort not to, you know, to be very nice to the people that are serving me when I go into for meetings at uh, companies like this. Uh, Possibly just because I've been there on the other side as well. I mean, yeah, and, and possibly because you're a good human being. Like, it's not, you can learn a lot about a person, uh, about how they treat people that are there to, I mean, for lack of a better term, assist you. I mean, you're talking about like going into places like this and you being a guest. Of course, there's that. Even down to servers, you can judge yeah. a human being really good based on how they interact with a server at a restaurant back when we used to go to restaurants. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that's just because you're, you're, you're a good person. <laughs> but it's in, well, I guess what happens is, um, and I think what this film kind of gets into, um, is the way in which an office will struck, the structure of an office kind of relegates certain people to be powerless and certain people to have power. And... And whether you, you know, like I've seen very nice people go into office buildings and, you know, not say thank you to the person who hands them a bottle of water just because they're kind of the the sort of social conditioning of the way the office is set up and the way that other people treat people kind of suggests that they don't need to. And I think that that happens often as well. And these are you know people who I think are very good people. Right. I, um, I, I mean, I would say that's not a nice thing and everyone can slip up. I don't want to judge people on one interaction. But if if, if a person is not consistently... Even at, at the baseline, just saying a common courtesy thank you, I think there's uh, there's there's something there's something amiss there. But I think what this film gets into is the idea of how those structures, how how a person can become lost within a structure like this, um, and that's so. The first thing I, I I kind of started this with was how this was not the film I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And in fact, um, what I mean by that is that if you you know we we of course live in a time where uh, Me Too is a prevailing thought and rightly so for most of us. Um, as we negotiate the cultural workplace and the, you know and and society um, moving forward, mm -hmm. and and so a film set in 2019, based upon what looks to be a kind of Weinstein-esque office, you know, seems to have the uh, potential to be either far more salacious or searing, as the word may be, or mm -hmm. provocative, as the word may be. But in fact, this is a movie made up of. Um, of routine, minor routine. In yep. fact, the, what I would call this movie uh, is, a, is a sort of a more balanced examination of microaggressions and and the sort of culmination of microaggressions. And what I mean, and and I really mean that in the sort of looking at that that the that verbiage very carefully, which is microaggressions. You know, there's no um, outward uh, um, outwards expressions of sexual misconduct to the characters in this film, but there's a series of microaggressions which build upon themselves to make this a fairly oppressive uh, and dour film. There's also one or two blatant sexual misconducts in this film. <laughs> but not to the it character. Does, it, it does not Not to the main character them. with whom we, either, whose, whose point of view we have. Right, but they're still there. It's just of not, course, it's, it's not like a, a, a lingering thing that just, it does exist. Well, you know, but for example, um, I um, just just to sort of figure out how to read this particular film, how to th talk about this particular film, I watched uh, Jay Roach's movie Bombshell last night just to kind of oh, nice. see a comparison. Yeah, to just that. to see a yeah, just to see a comparison movie, and I think you know that that movie is far more what I would expect. Uh, given the topic, it is, you know, like that is a movie about people willing to shout at each other and, and you know, delving into the, the sort of expose of sexual abuse in the workplace. Whereas this is a, a quiet, restrained, um, fairly um, minute, uh, you know, examination of minute actions. Yeah. And, and I was very surprised by that because, in, in fact, it was like 25 minutes into the movie where I was like, Oh, I'm kind of mesmerized by this, but this is actually a movie just about small, you know, daily routines. And they were completely fascinating to me. I don't know how you felt about it, but I was like, I'm, I was, I found it kind of strangely hypnotic, yeah. despite basically being a series of just sort of 
day-to-day office routines? Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> same to a point. Um, I think it really resonated with me, and from from the reviews that I've read and the and the pieces I've read on it, uh, it seems to really resonate with anybody in a production or assisting background. Um, but the one of the interesting things I found is, you know, when doing research for this for this episode, um, when when you type in. Uh, a movie name into Google or you're searching things around about it, a lot of times you get like the top voted tags for mm-hmm. things. So it'd be like, you know, adventure or superhero or, you know, whatever other generic thing people make for 13 year olds that I watch. But the this one actually kind of. It's weird because none of they just felt mean uh, in a weird way, like literally the top voted tags when you search for the assistant are the words slow, boring, forgettable, overrated, depressing, overhyped, and mindless. <laughs> and I was like, whoa! Uh, look, I could understand uh, a movie not connecting, but to have those be like the SEO terms that people are like typing with this movie's name is uh, is weird. Um, you, you, uh, what... I mean, I certainly could see how people would would come to those conclusions. Sure, um, I think, but that goes goes back to my goes back to my point. I think you, I, others in our in our field are are, are close to this, and therefore, uh, I feel like are easily more easily enthralled with the way that this is presented because we have a visceral connection to things like it, most likely. Um, whereas, but, I, but, but but at the same time. I don't know. Like it kind of bothers me that it seems like it you it seems like on a very tertiary level that people can't relate to this type of sort of microaggressions or 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 sort of uh toxic workplace environment, etc., unless they've experienced the thing exactly as presented in a weird way. And that um, kind of just bothers me in a in a larger sense. Again, it's not the movie's fault. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, no, it is not the movie's fault. The movie could be slow. People, it, it is slow. People could consider it boring. I just, it's the reads I was getting from folks that was kind of like, oh, really? Right. Like, I, and, and that's to say, uh, that's just, this is all sort of a tangent, side note, sort of uh, observation. Uh, this movie for me. Uh, I I wasn't enthralled with it entirely. Like I mm. like it and I like that it sort of exists, but it it didn't nothing drove me toward it more. Like nothing pulled me towards it to think about more after the fact, I guess. Like I was in it when I was in it and then when I was done, I was done. And maybe it's because it is kind of a painful topic if you if you dig into it in our industry, right? Like maybe it's something that I don't know, but but you weren't you you you're. I think what you're saying is two different things there, which is that you weren't. Um, it, it wasn't traumatic for you. It was just not enthralling for you. So perhaps those ACO teams that you're kind of describing there apply to how you feel about the film. Um, possibly. I don't know. I sometimes I think. And maybe this is my own biases for the words, etc. But sometimes I think that folks don't watch movies that, <laughs> for lack of a better term, aren't fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is not a fun film. Right. Uh, but okay, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying here is that I'm getting a little could, lost in my own weeds here. Yeah, too, yeah. So we, don't, well, we could. I think one thing we could do here is we could pick at the arguments of other people's through the ACO terms, or we could just examine our our own feelings of the movie. Yeah, again, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on it. It was just, it was interesting because I cannot remember another time, even for a film that I didn't like, right? That, that was, that had such consistently negative SEO terms. It was just an odd thing. And I was like, huh, (laughs) I don't know. Um, so I, I mean, again, uh, for me personally, I think the thing that was hypnotic about it was that they were, it, it, it is, you know, uh, we talked a little bit, li- I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, the things that I really enjoy, which is a procedure. I, li- I mm-hmm. like just watching procedure on film 
Um, and I and I what I really particularly like about this is the confidence to make sure uh, that that Kitty Green has here in terms of just showing us seemingly mundane procedure. You know, yeah. the photocopying, the answering of phone calls, the emails, the you know, like picking up of um, uh, of trash off a table. And and what happens is the thing that becomes hypnotic about it, and the reason why it's hypnotic and because there's a confidence to it, is that what Kitty Green is really doing here is giving us the giving us the the sort of refined point of view in order to depict there is something wrong here and everything that we're seeing are little pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Now, this character, Jane, in this film, played by Julia Garner, doesn't have all the pieces to the puzzle and there's nothing more painfully evident than when she tries to go and, and talk to HR, played by, um, played by Matthew McFadden, uh, in, in this film. Um, but we know and we can sense, watching the film, because of the point of view of this film, that all the pieces are there. And if you just were willing to connect the dots, you would be willing to kind of take the next step. And what I think the film is really talking about here, and the thing I was sort of getting at earlier, is the structure is in place in order to prevent you from putting the pieces together and willingly putting the pieces together. Um, I've been listening to Ronan Farrow's podcast, Catch and Kill, which talks uh, not just about the process of like investigating Harvey Weinstein, but also about the environment which creates a Harvey Weinstein. Sure. And the environment that creates, um, you know, uh, a situation which Harvey Weinstein can exploit his power. And it's, you know, um, also evident in, you know, again, in Bombshell and Roger Ailes story, um, probably evident in the Kevin Spacey story, uh, evident in many stories where where this happens, which is that on the one hand, while the sort of manifestation is really about sexual abuse, the the real issue here is the abuse of power by those who have it and the, uh, amongst those who don't have it. And what's interesting, I think, that this film really does is takes the point of view of someone who is entirely powerless in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like they have no capacity uh, really to affect change in this scenario. Um, and the film doesn't shy away from the fact that, you know, there's no catharsis, there's no revelation here, there's no uh, moment in which that that imbalance changes. It's really, there is nothing to be done here. Um, and nothing can be done here because the power structure in place doesn't allow it to happen. And that, in a way, is revealing about the truth of this, of this scenario. Um, it's the, you know, like... Um, when I was an intern and, you know, we were, you know, people would get abused and yelled at and, you know, interns would come back crying, you know, after meetings or things like that. And the truth of the matter is all of us would be upset about it, but there wasn't a lot we could do about it because essentially mm-hmm. doing something about it meant that we would no longer be working there. Um, and, and I think that is a really, I think this film really gets at the heart of that idea yeah. that that the power structure is set up in a way which prevents you from doing anything about this. And I, I love that, you know, again, it's a it's a film filled with procedure and process. You know, it's like um, Ju- um, Jane kind of coming into the office first thing. She's the first one there. Um, you know, it's a long train ride for her. I love that the punchline of one of the uh, uh, one of the interrogatory interrogatory questions is where do you live? And it's in Astoria, which is where we live. Yep. Um, um, but, you know, like, and then there's little things like, oh, there's an earring on the floor. Oh, okay. Um, you know, there are um, actresses who are coming back uh, later in the day collecting said earrings or there's personal time. And, and you know, those are the sort of little pieces of evidence that this film is really injecting within the mundane procedure. And I think what's clever here is including that- Including injections. Including injections, which uh, Harvey Weinstein was sort of- uh, famous for, uh, or it came up in his trial for, um, I think, th- I, I don't know what this is. It's not like Viagra, but it's like some erectile injection you can do. Write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. I really am fascinated to know what it is. I know, I know the subject of Harvey Weinstein's penis became part of the litigation Fun. And, like what it, and what it looked like. Um, but, you know, the the sort of there's also the kind of uh, daily indignities of um, you know her having to collect those syringes and place them in a in a medical bag and then restock uh, his daily supply of whatever that was mm-hmm. um, you know and then you know like and then the tiniest little um, sort of suggestion here which is don't sit on the couch 
never sit on the couch. And that when we kind of know and understand what's happening, that becomes a much more telling line. The fact that everyone's joking about it kind of becomes a much more telling yeah. moment. So I think, I, I think you know, to, to, to put it bluntly, I think this movie is kind of masterful in its confidence in the audience to pick up on what those clues are. And then also in establish the power dynamics at play that makes us incapable or, you know, our character, the point of view character that we're in, incapable of doing anything about it, even when she tries to. Yeah, and I think the the process in which the thing that kind of got me was um the the mundanity of of everything that is going on, uh the way that it is shot makes it at least look gorgeous from like it's it's odd to say like, oh, a shot of someone making copies looks gorgeous. But I mm. think that they did a very good job at like you know, riding that knife's edge of like making something look incredibly boring, the task that the person is doing, uh, sort of right up next to, but make the the frame showing us that thing still something interesting. Both the use of sort of the, the color palette of the office, definitely feeling like a, a hopeless, sort of uh, a hopeless place. Definitely, it like, it's funny. Production houses oftentimes, and maybe it's just the worlds, the circles that I go through now, but like in in... In 2020 or went back again. Remember when we had offices? Um, a lot of like tech startups and things like that have like cool spaces and like there's you know everything's a little more or uh, it, it feels like it should be a little more hip or sort of like lively in the office. But most production places that I have worked have felt a little bit like corporate dungeons, depending on where. We, there's obviously exceptions. Yeah. Um. So I think capturing that uh that energy and that um. That vibe, uh, this did very well. Um, I think also the – I was getting a lot of – because there's what? Basically, there's like three assistants, right? Uh, well, three, yeah, ex- ex- assistants to the, the senior executive. Yeah, in this, in this film. And the two guys, uh, especially the dude in the glasses <laughs> – um, <laughs> Noah, uh, who's just listed as male assistant number one, played by Noah Robbins. Yeah. Uh, male assistant number one, man, back in my intern days, I sure as hell knew a lot of male assistant number ones. Uh, <laughs> and male assistant number two. I knew a few of those guys as well. It's just very, like, the 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 one passing the buck for for um, for other people to do stuff, the other one, like, over, over the shouldering, like, telling the other person what to do as opposed to, like, an actual, like, writing emails or things. Um it, it, it the, that those vibes got me got me pretty hard too because it's just like yeah the the even outside like and again kind of like what you said the power structure is set up to maintain this sort of imbalance and the only way that that power structure can do that is if everyone's on board and even the assistants for the most part are on board even like you said before like because what's the option that you had back in the day right to just leave. Yeah, just leave. And also, um, you know, that that sort of uh, that old saying, you'll never work in this town again, kind of certainly hangs over your head like the sort of Damocles, um, you know, and you and you think about that often is like your capacity to work at another place because of your reputation uh, happens. But if again, if you listen to um, uh, Catch and Kill, it's the it's the dangling of prospects, which happens to Jane in yes. this film as yep. well. You know, um, the abuse that she encounters from her boss, who remains completely unseen throughout this film, um, is is always tempered, you know, is 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 offset by uh, a sort of secondary email, which like props her up, you know, like it's that it's that little dangling promise of uh, if you do this job for one year, then you will have your choice of place to go to, and you know, uh, he, she at one stage uh, is tasked with taking. Uh, the boss, you know, the Weinstein character's wife's calls, and uh, she's being specifically asked for because, first off, because uh, male assistant number one kind of uh, deflects to her in order to take this call, which she does, um, and she gets abused for that. And the second time around, the wife calls and asks to speak to her, uh, which she refuses to lie about. Um, And then uh, once Jane actually does decide to to kind of make a stand and do something about the sort of pieces that she is seeing. Um, you know, again, the, 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 the systemic problem here is that her 
seemingly private you know, inquiry into something is wrong here is immediately relayed to everybody she works for, mm-hmm. including her boss, yeah. who, who then she has to write an email for, you know, apologizing for the indiscretion, and whom he kind of comes back with, I'm sorry, I, you know, like I yelled at you, I just think you can be great, and I want to make you great. And it's like, it's that, that, that dangling prospect, which I think this movie, is, you know, again, this is the word I keep coming back to, is so confidently um, willing to do without having the kind of big moments that I, you know, that I thought a movie like this about Me Too in the Me Too era would have, you know, like Bombshell. But this movie doesn't do any of that. In fact, it, it's just, it's so precise and confident about what it is talking about um, that that's what I kind of found pretty, again, um, mesmerizing and hypnotic. You know, like I was, I, I didn't get bored for a second during this movie. Hypnotic's uh, a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, it. It's a, it, 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 this is a film that definitely washed over me. Uh, mm-hmm. but, and I, I want to make sure that in that regard, I'm saying like that, that is a positive and a, and a negative, depending on how you want to sort of rate a film. Again, this isn't, um, there's a lot to, there's a lot you can glean from it from a filmmaking spe- perspective, of course. But this, again, I want to go back is not a fun film. Um, right. it, it's, but does it's, it have to be? No, 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 not at all. I, I just, I'm just sort of, it's, you know, when, when, when putting, uh, when compartmentalizing things that I've watched and enjoyed or not enjoyed, um, I just, I, I always find it interesting when I can say like, yes, I enjoyed this movie. It is not fun. I probably will not watch it again. Like right. this for me is a one and done, but I think it's an important one and done. It's not like, um. Never is never does it middle, even though it is slow. Never does it um, uh, get incredibly salacious. It rather it shows you uh, dark corners of the world that are like again the tiny ones, the ones that are only the ones that could only exist if a system was in place to continually allow it to do so. Everything down from the assistants passing the buck to. Uh, them joking about the couch to cleaning up needles and earrings to uh, th- some of the most I think stressful moments in a film that I've seen in a long time uh, are the are the muffled calls from people that she has to deal with. Like right. you can kind of hear the words and you definitely get the inclination and the tone, but you're not understanding exactly the words. You're just getting the raw feeling of being yelled at, and uh, that is. Um, that's highly effective for what this is trying to do. Also, side note, I was I was counting the minutes till there was a paper jam in that copier, and it did happen. Uh, <laughs> this would not have been an accurate film about assistance had the uh, the the copier not jammed. But the the thing that's interesting there is that um, I guess maybe in terms of my expectations, I was expecting a piece of information to be revealed through the pop- paper jam, like for oh, us to like. You know, like when when the paper jammed, I was like, okay, there's a piece of paper that's stuck in this, and and that probably has some information on it that will kind of open the door for what this film, huh. you know, for what I think this film is going to be about. And and it's not; it's just a paper jam. Yeah. Uh, but it's like one of the minor things that she has to deal with during the day. Um, and uh, again, I think that that. Power structure is really what's fascinating about it. What I want to turn to now is um, who was uh, a person who was going to be our guest on this episode, yes. uh, our lovely Chelsea Stoutenberg, um, who was an executive assistant. And just you know, side note, uh, she and I were actually writing a project about her experience as an executive assistant uh, oh, at no. one stage. So we were. So I spent a lot of time basically downloading her stories, um, and her stories are really fascinating. They don't have the sort of um, nefarious tone that uh, this film kind of takes on and as we've seen in the Weinstein Company. But I think they are made up of really interesting moments which hint at, um, I guess, uh, and you know, I apologize, Chelsea, if I'm sort of taking the words out of your mouth, but this is sort of the the thing that was interesting to me when we were writing the film that we were ma- writing was that the, the two worlds that that two people can live in can, can be in the same office, but but live in entirely two different worlds. Oh yeah, and and I think that's what this film gets at. And I and I'm curious uh, what Miss uh, uh, Miss Stoutenberg thought of the film. 
The Assistant. Wow, I just finished it, and uh, my stomach turned as she first got in the cab in the beginning. Uh, I didn't realize that Julia Garner from Ozark was going to be in the film, so I freaked out. Um, I just finished watching all the seasons of Ozark, so that was such a surprise. Um, But, yeah, so for me, I was a personal assistant for Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen for two years, and I signed an NDA, so I'm probably not going to be able to disclose too much information about my experience with it. But I can say that this film made me feel like I relived the two years that I was um, working as an assistant, not like for specific reasons, but more just the, you know, the long day. You're like the first person at the office making the coffee stocking the, you know, stocking the fridge with waters and everything. Um, I I really did like working for Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. They were actually, they were great bosses, but I would just say the environment of working around people who are of such high status just makes this weird tension in the air. So I definitely remember that. Uh, there was this feeling throughout the movie where it's like you're walking on eggshells. Like there's just like, there's this like, um, mystical creature that everyone's like not talking about or not using their actual name. Um, and actually, I don't think we even see his face through the whole film, which just again feels like the film is just like being an assistant where all of your efforts are around these people that you don't really interact with all that much. Um, And then also there's this psychological confusion of this like big world that you're trying to break into and this dream you have and it feels so close, but um, it's actually really far away. So I really liked the film. I'd say I'd never watch it again um, because it was painful for me to watch, but it was done really well and I love Julia Garner. Thank you very much, Chelsea. Yeah, she she 100% nailed a lot of what I felt as well. Uh, The mystical creature line in particular, uh, Chelsea, was so apt. Like, in this film, of course, you don't ever hear the name or you don't even see his face. But, like, everyone does treat those people. Like, it's never never like, oh, Bill's coming in. It's like, he's on the move. Yeah. (laughs) It's like it's the Voldemort syndrome or whatever. Look at me making a Harry Potter reference, but like uh, it, it it's so insane. Um, and I, I I love I love that Chelsea. I know I, I'm very sad that she couldn't join us for the full podcast. I've known Chelsea. I think, whew, fourteen years at this point. Uh, and she and I were at MTV uh, on sort of different paths that always sort of crossed back and forth, back and forth for a long time. Um, and uh, yeah, she, the, the very astute uh, observations uh, that, that she just gave. Also, the if there was one piece of advice I could give to people getting into, like, sort of doing the assistant track to become then, like, producers or directors, you know, is is exactly what Chelsea said. It's that it's that big dream that you are so close to, but you are so far away. And while I have seen people sort of do that transition uh, from from assistant to sort of more of the things that would be needing of assistance uh, in the industry, that's very few and far between. So it it always it's your your brain is constantly confused. Um, Yeah. yeah, So, no, Chelsea, that was great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that that thing that, uh, you know, you're talking about in terms of. uh, being so close to this life that you want, but you know, kind of feeling like you're into it's not available. Is that is that idea that we were sort of talking about when we were writing this project, which was that you know two people can be right next to each other and really be just living on two different uh, planes of existence uh, in some cases. And I think you know, like you know, it, it's the the case here being in 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 this film is that you know um, the the executive producer's role, the the you know the the boss's role uh, is. Uh, his every whim is adhered to and maintained. You know, like while his role is important and stressful and yada yada yada, um, every accommodation is made for his comfort, whereas no accommodation is made for the comfort of those beneath him. Um, mm. You know, their role is only to clean up after him, and 
the 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 striking thing about this film is it's kind of hinged upon this one scene that happens right in the middle, which you know uh, I think. Uh, um, Julia Garner and uh, Kitty Green talked about being 12 to 13 pages of dialogue in this sort of fairly uh, snappy editorial, you know, like s- film that's edited together with like all these, pro- with all sorts of process. In the middle of it, there's this one long conversation uh, between Jane and and someone from HR played by Matthew McFadden. Uh, is it McFadden? I always more McFadden. I don't know. <laughs> From Succession, and he's also from the great New Zealand film called In My Father's Den, which is where I first saw him, huh. um, which is a really terrific film that unfortunately was the the director's only movie that it was ever made. I, I was actually working for a film publication at the time, and I interviewed a few of the actors on that particular film. Um, but uh, my point here is that this one conversation is the actualization of maybe what the film had been hinting upon the entire time. And even as uh, basically Jane goes into this office, she another uh, another assistant has been brought into the office who is uh, from Boise, Idaho. Yeah, flown in from Idaho. Flown in from Boise, Idaho, and whom the other assistants seem to know as someone that they... Uh, who's been here before, and who obviously looks very different to the other assistants. Um, and... Um, the 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 sort of the tenor of this conversation is really striking in terms of like how much not a lot has to be said in order to undermine the things that she is thinking mm-hmm. you know like uh, it's really just a few words that entirely um gaslights her into believing that nothing is wrong here and in well, many cases, I don't think I don't think she ever believes that there's nothing wrong here but she's she's definitely <laughs> gaslit by the HR department guy she's definitely gaslit by her boss um, she knows. She just also knows that there's nothing to be done about it. And then, like you sort of said before, carrot stick, carrot stick. Like yeah. it's it, you know, um, and and the, and the carrot that that the HR person kind of dangles here is like, why would you want to throw? You know, you're obviously smart. It took you a lot to get to this job. You went to Northwestern, I think mm-hmm. it was, or you went to the school. Now, why do you want to go and throw it away for some bullshit? You know, like and that and that is like the. The crux of like how the power structure gets put in place here is like, why do you want to throw? You're fine. You're not getting abused. We don't, you know, like, do we even categorize this as abuse? You know, like until until the articles start coming out, do we even categorize it as abuse? Um, you know, up until this point, right? And 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 then, you know, it basically undermines her her own process right away. And I think it's really clever. In terms of again, the film, the writing, and the filmmaking here is so clever in terms of giving you just the right amount of pieces so that you know something is wrong. But the second she says it out loud, you can see how it can be, how it could fall apart and and be taken the wrong way, right? Like mm. you see how that he he's able to kind of turn around her inconclusive evidence into something that is like you being silly. You know what I mean? Like it's really, really or that, showing that, or showing that. It's very easy to make it look as though she is being silly, or she's being jealous, or she doesn't, you know, like she's got she's got aspirations just like these other people, and that because she's not being put up in a hotel, you know, that's the line is like, oh, where are they putting you up? Uh, they're not putting me up anywhere. I'm. Where do you live? I live in Astoria, and she's being put up in this hotel. Mm-hmm. Oh, so is that the issue? You know what I mean? It's like she has no concrete evidence of what's happening just like the earring we don't exactly know what's happening it could literally just you know like on the surface of it be you know and she brings this up during the conversation it could literally just be someone dropped their earring but we know and we understand through the minute observations that this film has that that earring is not just an earring yeah i mean we even see that the woman who comes back and gets it looks visibly distressed and doesn't right. even get out of the elevator much, like does not want to be there. Like, right. uh, you know, credit to small uh, choices in acting. We get that throughout this entire film. This whole, this whole film is a lot of small choices, but again, it, they are, they are very effective to get across what you're saying Shahir, that something is wrong, but also all of those things that are wrong due to the system put in place can make you look like you are wrong. Right. And um, yeah, yeah, and it's and it's not like Bombshell where they're collecting or, or even Spotlight or something like or Zodiac where they're collecting all the pieces to kind of like conclusively come into their mind and, and be that character who's like, I'm gonna change things because I know what's happening, what's right <laughs> yeah. and wrong. This character just doesn't have that power, you know, like and doesn't have the capacity. and the film is kind of smartly placed over one day to kind of 
say, these are the pieces that we see, but they're not all connected. Yeah. Even the final shot where we're kind of see something is happening in the window is, you know, like is de, um, obfuscated. We can't quite see what's happening. And we know that we, we can kind of guess what's happening. But if we went to HR to talk about it, what would we describe? Mm. You know, we'd say, I saw something moving in his window that seemed like it could be this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think, again, I just, that kind of writing is is really masterful because it's like, it's just, what what's required there is like 100% confidence in the audience. You know, like it, that's, that's really what it requires is like saying, the audience is going to get that these are the things that make this character feel powerless and can't quite put it together. Um, and it gives you that overall sense of like feeling that something is wrong, but I don't know how to articulate it quite yet. You know, and and it just it takes a lot of it. Ta you know, again, I liked I like Jay Roach's Bombshell, um, but but it's a movie that that you know is basically signaling at every corner what is right and wrong. And this is right. a film which which is like not going to do that kind of handholding and just and just kind of try to let you absorb the information and the observations that it's got. And like I said, for me, it was hypnotic. Yeah. Um, one final thing, especially at the end, uh, there's another aspect of this too that it just touches on for young people coming into the industry too. Um, so we we entire the entire film we deal with the pressures of her, pretty much sure that there's stuff wrong going on, but also wanting a career so uh, and wanting to be liked and respected by the person doing the assumed wrong things. So we get a lot of the internal pressure and the personal pressure. Uh, for Jane, right? At the end, with the conversation with her father on the phone in the in the uh, in the deli in the mm. wherever that was, um, there's another thing too that I complete like I I thought the movie was done throwing punches, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then this came up, which is a sort of constant thing of. Uh, you know, the people that you care about outside of your job that you want to respect you or, like, appreciate what you are doing uh, with your life. Like, basically, the father figure in this movie wanted uh, wanted to hear all about it and was so proud of her and, and can't believe that she's made it this far. And, like, it's just sort of those moments where you're, like, that sort of like tertiary otherworldly pressure on top of you on top of the entirety of the system that is designed to keep you uh in a certain spot but since it's sort of hidden under the surface people outside of it just see oh you're working for so and so big time movie executive wow that must be insane and glamorous and da -da -da. and you have to sort of be like yeah, yeah. it's cool um, I don't know. That was just one more, like, that was like the final little, like, jab in the yeah. side for me. Um, I, I, again, I think that's the the sort of the confidence in the writing to kind of, like, make sure that it is a, it's accumulation of little moments. And that is, like, the, and, uh, like, I even just love the way she went into that. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but, like, after really shitty days yeah. in New yeah. York City, you go into a bodega and you order the shittiest thing you can, which yeah. is, like, a, a really sugary muffin, you know, like an egg and cheese sandwich or something like, you know, like something really, you know, you should not eat, but you just need it at we this We used moment. to call that the guy code special. Right, yeah, did the egg and cheese sandwich or the muffin? <laughs> it was an egg and cheese sandwich at the end of the day, uh, but instead, it was instead. Uh, in addition, uh, you made a you, you got an you got a hash brown in it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's something uh, like that. Just it, whatever it is, just something that just makes you feel like you're getting um, the slightest moment of respite. You know, like just the slightest hint of sort of something that's for you yeah, and um, you know, something where your needs are being attended to. And, and like when she opened that muffin, I was like, I've been there, man. I've definitely had that bodega muffin at the end of the other shitty day. <laughs> and, and I, and I have fully needed it. What's, what's sad to me is sometimes I need that bodega muffin at like 11 AM now. <laughs> like it I used mean, to be we're like, getting I, older. Yeah. Yeah. I used to need that bodega muffin, like uh, on my way home or at the very, very end of the day. Sometimes I really need it at the start of the day now, like, or I've just done an hour's worth of work and I was like, I, I, I need this. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, I, I just want to circle back to some, a couple of things that you mentioned, um, which was that you weren't enthralled by the movie or you mentioned that you weren't enthralled by the movie or that it didn't 
quite connect for you. Does, I mean, does it, that... no, in the moment it did, but I did find myself sort of having a hard time looking back at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if it is because it's sort of like, I mean, almost to Chelsea's point, uh, a reminder of a system that I think and know is shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think that's more of a credit to the film than a disservice to it or, or, or negative point to it. Um, because I found myself just being, again, not at the quality of the filmmaking, uh, just just being sort of upset. And I mm. also didn't feel like being upset. So I didn't really like, it It kind of got me in a loop of like, not, not wanting to dissect further. I mean, mm. I, I did to a point, but I think the one thing that's great about this film is sort of, again, to your point, like the confidence in the audience, but also it's all on the surface. Mm. It's all tiny, but it's all on the surface. Um, so so I think I got everything the film wanted me to get out of it through my viewing of it. I appreciate what it did. I think it is a good film that people should watch. Um, it didn't make me feel great and I didn't really think about it a ton after the fact. Okay. Yeah. How do you? How does that make you feel about the uh, ACO ratings, which you uh, or the ACO uh, taglines, which you mentioned earlier? Um, sadder. <laughs> I think it's just. Um, I mean, again, it, the movie's doing what it's supposed to be doing. I think right. that's what I'm having a hard time sort of separating. Um. It's just uh it's a it's a necessary painful reminder of the inequities of in this case the entertainment industry. Right. Um and I mean if I, I yeah. I think Sorry. it's important. I think uh people should watch it. I do wish it was getting a bit more um a bit more steam. I know it is on Hulu, um obviously, <laughs> but like we, you know, a lot of movies can't of course go to theaters cuz what is a theater anymore? Um <laughs> Well, I'm just I, I'm pulling up. Uh, I'm looking at the. I, I happen to have the IMDb page open up to me, and, I, and I'm looking at the one one to two star reviews here. And I think the sort of common thread here is: uh, watch as she makes coffee, watch as she makes uh, copies, watch as she sweeps crumbs, watch as she empties a wastebasket. Uh, seriously, don't watch this. Um, this film was promoted as a thriller, but it was absolutely not a drama. But it was not even like an old news documentary. Um. Uh. Watch some. Watching someone work all day is not entertaining. Yeah. Uh, Actually, what about here, the most boring movie of all time? No love, no laughter, no suspense. Here's Simply the thing: a movie with the most miserable, unimaginative people ever. Right. Um, I think this is the thing. Uh, uh. To your original point of this is a film that trusts in its audience to pick up on the small things. Mm. The sad truth of doing a film in that regard is that a lot of people won't. Right, and you can't cater to the you can't ca- no. You know, the, the the thing for me is that I prefer a film that doesn't cater to everybody, um, but really knows what it's trying to do. Yeah. and this is a film that really knows what it's trying to do, um, and and I think the movie is rewarding for um, your the audience's observation skills. You know, the for if you're if you're if you're able to watch and observe a moment unfolding, and and understand the subtlety with which w- one person says something or which another person picks up a piece of paper, yeah. um, then this is a movie that's rewarding. And it's and it's filled with tiny details. I remember we talked, um, what was it about the Barack Obama movie? Uh, I forget the title of it. It might have just been called Obama or something like that um, uh, on Netflix a few years ago. It's a movie I absolutely adored. I think it's fantastic. Um, and, you know, like the, the phrase there is that is a movie that I kind of, thought was like code switch the movie it's all about these little interactions where we switch our identities from one person to the next and that's what that movie is really playing on Mm -hmm. and this movie again it's 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 really about microaggressions it's really about those little nuanced interactions where the turn of a phrase or the way in which someone picks up their phone in the middle of a conversation or what have you is the thing that this movie is really talking about and all of those all of that element builds up to this really well fleshed out world where I think the, the the thing that might be sad to me about the sort of things that we've talked about here is I think everything that we're talking about here is applicable to almost any industry. 
And, you mm. know, like you can see this in almost any facet. It's not about industry. It's about human interaction and sure. the way in which power structures, you know, pe people uh, with more power and more status can treat people who have less power and less status. And I think that is, while it is about the, the movie industry and Weinstein certainly kind of felt like unique to the movie industry uh, and Roger Ailes as well, um, it really is about like the way human beings interact with each other. You know, like I can see this happening in a politician's office. I can see this happening in, you know, Kitty Green talked about the fact that uh, someone came up to her and talked to her about this happening and she was a yacht salesman or, you know, she worked in a yacht wow. office. Um, so I think that's what that's what's really truly rich and rewarding about it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, for, for my final thoughts on that, I, I just I I think this is a really um, uh, ex excellent example of confident, really well-considered writing and directing. It's really, really well-played. Um, it's very sharp. This movie's only 87 minutes long as well. It's really, really tightly wound and very sharply put together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it may kind of just be about the mundane process, but underneath every action here is a really rich subtext about human interaction. And I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Indeed, indeed. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film, The Assistant. Uh, Shahir, when you aren't assisting this podcast with deep philosophical musings of cinema, where can folks find you? Uh, I don't do that at all, by the way. So you can just go to my website to watch my other bullshit at my at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A. H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are uh, uncovering the entire SEO strategy of uh, Hulu and The Assistant, where can people find you? You can find me pulling all them words out of busted copiers at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, Pierre Easy on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. I believe we will be still in the third century crisis uh, series for extra history over there. Check that out. And we've just done our um, Troy history versus myth series, which talks about uh, you know the Battle of Troy and did it happen? If it did, how could it have? And the differences that we've misconstrued due to Homer and a bunch of stuff about how bronze warfare and how it actually worked. Also, the uh, movie Troy with Brad Pitt. Uh, we make it we, in our <laughs> Iliad series. We make some Brad Pitt references. In this one, we don't. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, um, don't forget to write us in uh, at onlymoviepodcast at gmail .com for you to win a copy of The King of Staten Island. Remember, the question is: What show did Matt Kroll and Pete Davidson work on together? What show did Matt Kroll and Pete <laughs> Davidson work on together? Oh, memories! <laughs> memories. memories filled with with. With you actually mentioned you actually mentioned the show on this episode as well. So, yeah, just hints abound. It could yeah, be yeah, anything. This, Pete Davidson and I worked together selling shoes. It was crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we will talk to you next week when we review the film uh, Black Widow. We are doing Black Widow. Uh, yeah, Tenant. Mulan, Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, what else we got? Man, we got, I mean, Mulan's coming up. Actually, you know it is coming Zack up. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, geez. Um, you know it is coming up that I'm I'm going to watch and I want to probably do a podcast on, but I'll probably be sad about it, is the third Bill and Ted movie. Uh, it's been a while since I've checked those out. I I, I, rem I have very fond memories of the first I two, do so... Oh, I do too. The first two are lovely. I mean, yeah. there's a few parts that don't age well, but for as a whole, they are great and enjoyable things to watch. I just can't think of a franchise that after this long has came up with a third one where it's been like, yeah! <laughs> uh, but if knows? any of them I'm... could do it, I think hey, this man, one could what do was it. The, what was the first movie we did on this podcast? You know, fair. Yeah, fair. That was technically the fourth one, so my, my thing still Yeah, holds. but it was so long after... I know. Yeah. No, so... good call. All right, well, we'll talk to you next week about something, one of those films, or probably something else, because I don't think any of those are out yet in time. Bye. Talk to you later.